of art You could spend your life on one And it wouldn't be for naught Do you look at many people But you see so very few From the disenchanted distance It's what desperate people do Good morning, everyone. Would you please stand? Let's lift our voices and sing to Jesus. He is worthy of our song. Um, let's lift our voices loud to him.
time. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning again and welcome. Uh, each week we are called to worship from Scripture. It's a reminder that we worship because God calls us. He invites us to worship. Um, today, almost every week, we are called to worship from the Psalms. Today we're going to hear from the book of Revelation. And we're going to see that what we've been talking about throughout the series um, on unity uh, is, is fulfilled, finally completed. In the book of Revelation, we see this picture of the church unified around the cross of Christ, unified around the throne um, singing with the saints of all time and the angels, and something occurred. Uh, I was working with Brad um, to write this this week to compile these these texts. Something occurred to us that this is us in this bizarre, if you can sort of inception kind of way. We are the ones singing here around the throne in a way calling ourselves to worship this morning, reminding us that though we see disunity all around us, though we see the sin in our hearts, we can take heart and encourage that those of us who are in Christ will be a part of this multitude singing in the end. Um, I thought that was pretty amazing. Anyone? Let's be called to worship today. Please read the underlying portion as we, we see this picture of what the church looks like totally unified around the throne in the end. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slaughtered and you purchased people for God by your blood from every tribe and language and people and nation. You made them a kingdom and priest to our God and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels around the throne and also the living creatures and of the elders. Their number was countless thousands plus thousands of thousands. And they said with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. I heard every creature in heaven, on earth and under the earth, on the sea and everything in them say, blessing and honor and glory and power be to the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Amen. That is our call to worship today. That, that, that is the vision of the end. Whatever we encounter today or tomorrow, that that is the sealed and promised future that we can count on. Amen? Let's continue uh, to lift our voices and sing to our King. King of my heart, be the wind inside my sail. 
never gonna let, never gonna let me down. You're never gonna let, never gonna let me down. You're never gonna let, you're never gonna let me down. that tension that we've just sung about, that God is present even when we feel darkness around us. <clears throat> it is that tension that we come into when we confess sin week after week, because we know that as much as we might feel the weight and even the guilt of our, of our sin, we might come in feeling shame. We know as Christians, we've been through this again and again. We know that that word of assurance and pardon is coming. We know that what Jesus has done for us is settled and sure. We've seen that we are a part of this great multitude around the throne already, and yet we continue in this, this world that is broken. And so today, as we continue thinking about this theme of unity, let's confess together the ways in which our selfish desires uh, can create disunity even among brothers and sisters in the church. Lord God, we have given more weight to our success and our happiness than to your will. We have eaten without thought for the hungry. We have spoken without an effort to understand others. We have kept silence instead of telling the truth. We have judged others, forgetting that you alone are the judge. We have acted rather in accordance with our opinions than according to your commands. Within your church, we've been slow to practice love of our neighbors. And in the world, we have not been your faithful servants. Forgive us and help us to live as disciples of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Savior. Amen. And as we are reminded and assured of who we are in Christ, what Christ has done for us, 
I want us to read together two questions and, and answers from the Heidelberg Catechism. Both of these questions in, encourage us. They build us up in this truth of what it means to be the church, and they both call us to a sense of unity as we uh, follow Christ, our head, as we practice what it is to be the body of Christ. And so let's uh, read this. I'll read the question. We'll read the response together. And again, if you're new with us, or maybe you haven't encountered this idea, in this question, when we talk about the Catholic Church, the meaning is the universal church, the true church across all times and places, um, and, and we are a part of an international body of people called uh, to be Christ's own, and that's what we mean as we read this. So please read along as we are assured of who we are today. What do you believe concerning the Holy Catholic Church? I believe that the Son of God, through his spirit and word, out of the entire human race, from the beginning of the world to its end, gathers, protects, and preserves for himself a community chosen for eternal life and united in true faith. And of this community, I am and have always will be a living member. What do you understand by the communion of saints? First, that believers, one and all, as members of this community, share in Christ and in all his treasures and gifts. Second, that each member should consider it a duty to use these gifts readily and joyfully for the service and enrichment of the other members. Amen. And all this by Christ's grace, he is doing it among us, making us one body. And so we'll sing this song. We've sung it a couple times during this series because it's a call, a prayer that we might be one, that we might actually look like the thing that the Holy Spirit is doing in us, that what is true in the Spirit might be true on the outside as well. Let's lift it up as a, as a song of prayer today.
Thank you that there is power in your name. Yeah, praise him. Because of that power, because of what you did on the cross, that you put the, 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 print, the powers and, the, and the, um, the authorities to open shame, you exposed them for what they were, that all of the forces that came on you from, from Rome and from, and from the religious authorities that tried to stop you, that even though you go through death, you defeated Satan, that great enemy that was there in the beginning trying to cause division among your people, you put to open shame. You showed that behind everything, he is a defeated power and that the church is triumphant over all of your enemies, that in the end, the final enemy to be defeated is death and that we will finally reign victorious that that great serpent will be chained and and powerless, defeated, and, and just his teeth pulled out, that the church will stand, will stand with you in that great victory. Jesus, may that sustain us as we make, as we, as we go day to day through this life. We see all around us, there's trials, there's darkness, there's confusion. May that vision of the end that, that is promised be the thing that that enables us to persevere. You have promised, Lord, and even your people in the first century who are asking, if Jesus is king, why are we being martyred? If Jesus is king, why are we seeing the wicked seem to prosper? It's been the question your people have asked for ages. Lord, as we come to this question today, may that vision of the great multitude around the throne and Jesus victorious, his robe dipped in blood because his enemies are finally and once and for all defeated. May that vision give us strength and courage today and tomorrow as we seek to be faithful to what you've called us to, as we seek to be your people, to not turn to the left or to the right, but to seek your kingdom. And if that kingdom trivializes all other claims to our heart, Lord, may we say you are the one and only king in our hearts and in our minds. May we be formed more and more into your image day by day. And I I thank you that that is a work of the spirit, that even now as we come to your word, as we come to the table, as we sing songs together, as we fellowship together, all of these things are your, your tools that we experience, your grace and shape. You shape our hearts. Thank you, Lord, that by that same spirit, you took our hearts of stone and gave us hearts of flesh. Now continue to mold them. Thank you, Lord, that you are faithful to do all of this. And I pray it all in your name. Amen. Amen. You guys can be seated. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Christ the King Church. My name is David Boris, and we are glad that you guys have joined us for worship this morning. Uh, Welcome also to those joining us on the live stream. We are really glad that you've joined us as well. 
And hey, if you are new with us this morning, I just want to say thank you for coming. Thank you so much for being here. We are really glad that you're here, and and we hope that you feel welcome here this morning. And so uh, to that end, we would love to to connect with you and tell you more about Christ the King Church. So there's a couple of ways that we can do that this morning. And the first is to uh, fill out our Connect card. So if you have your phone on you right now, go to get that out and go to ctkcincy.com slash cc, or you can just open the camera on your phone and point it at that QR code there on the screen, and that'll take you to our Connect card form. Give us as much information there as you can. We'll reach out to you later this week. We'd love to to get to know you a little bit and and tell you a little bit more about Christ the King. And so the other way to connect with us is actually today before you leave, uh, if you'll stop by our welcome table there on the left, uh, we would love to give you a gift just for saying thank you for coming and thank you for being here this morning. Again, it's just our way to show a little appreciation that we are really glad that you're here. And so if you are not new with us this morning, you've been around CTK for a little while, you know that that Connect card is also for you. Uh, if you have prayer requests or if you'd like to join a serving team or join a city group, uh, you can do that through that Connect card form as well. All right, well, I have a couple things for us real quick. So last week, you guys heard from our discipleship and family pastor, Cameron Waterworth, about something a little bit newer here at CTK called CTK Institute. And so the mission of CTK Institute is to resource, equip, and deploy people to to gospel ministry within the church, the home, and the workplace. And so CTK Institute has the primary focus of theological education and producing fully formed disciples of Jesus here at CTK. So within CTK Institute, there are a couple of programs that I want to let you guys know about that are coming up uh, starting next weekend. So make sure you mark your calendar. Uh, The first is going to be our very first Saturday seminar. So these Saturday seminars will uh, deal with a particular topic. Well, there, there will be some teaching and then some kind of group time to discuss whatever uh, topic is taught about. And the first one is going to be taught by our worship pastor, Jason Hudson, uh, on the topic of faith and technology, which is gonna be really great. Uh, And so we'll deal with how to navigate our faith in a world that is increasingly technologically dependent, which I think we can all agree, right? Uh, So make sure you mark your calendars for this coming Saturday, September the 11th, uh, and that's at 10 a.m. in the morning. Uh, There will be childcare, coffee, and donuts provided, so make sure you mark your calendars for that. Um, And the next item within CTK Institute is our fall classes that we have coming up starting next Sunday. So uh, we're going to be offering three classes starting this fall. Uh, The first is Christian Belief, which will cover some basic Christian doctrines. The second is Financial Faithfulness, uh, which will walk through how to honor God through personal finance. And the third is a survey of the Old Testament, which is going to help us engage with some of the unique contents of Scripture's wisdom literature. So those are going to be really great. And again, that starts next Sunday. So go ahead and uh, make sure you sign up now. If you want to register for those classes or if you want to find out more about CTK Institute, the link is right there on the screen behind me. That's ctkinstitute.com. All right, one final quick reminder for you guys that you've heard about probably a couple of times now, uh, and that is the Aruna Run. Are are you guys signed up for the Aruna Run? Yeah, all right. So the Aruna Run is tomorrow morning, and there is still time to sign up. So make sure that you do that if you haven't already. You do need to sign up uh, by midnight tonight. And I was just told this morning by Andrew Weinbrenner, I think CTK has the largest team. Right? It's great. 
something like 43 or 46 people from CTK are signed up. So that's going to be really great. If you haven't signed up, there is still time. Again, make sure you do that by tonight. Uh, and that's on the public. So ctkcincy.com slash the public. All right. Well, that's all I have for us this morning. So let's pray before Michael comes to preach. God, thank you this morning for your goodness and for your grace. God, thank you for the gift of coming together to gather together as your gathered church to worship in this place with these people at this time. God, it's truly a wonderful gift, and we thank you this morning. And Lord, we pray this morning that you would remind us of who we are. God, remind us that we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for your possession. God, remind us that we are sons and daughters of the King. We are heirs to the throne of the Most High. We are co-heirs with Christ. And God, because of who you say we are, we can approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace. Lord, you also remind us to look outside of ourselves to the world around us. And when we look around, we can easily be discouraged by the brokenness in this world. God, you have called us to be light into the darkness and to bring hope to the hopeless. Lord, this morning we pray for those in the southeast who have been impacted by Hurricane Ida. God, we pray for those who have been misplaced and had to flee their homes. God, we pray for the million-plus people who are without power. God, we especially pray for those who have lost family members and loved ones during this horrific storm. God, we pray for those who have suffered destruction and loss during this time. For those who, who may not have the means to rebuild, repurchase, or reestablish what has been lost. God, bring hope to these people. Bring the things that are necessary by, by, by miracles or otherwise for people to rebuild their lives and continue on. God, we pray most of all that you would make your name great through this tragedy. God, be the comfort that these people need. God, we pray that they would turn to you that they would seek comfort in you, that they would repent and believe the gospel by the power of the Holy Spirit through these circumstances brought about by this hurricane. Lord, comfort the hurting this morning and provide for these people's needs. Lord, this morning, I pray that we pray that we would turn our hearts to you. God, as we wrap up the series on unity, we pray that we would be more uni a more unified people through the preaching of your word. God, unify us around Jesus, around the gospel. Lord, we pray that you would speak to us this morning. Bless Michael now as he comes to preach. We pray all these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Good morning, church. Happy Labor Day weekend to all of you. And uh, I will be at the Aruna tomorrow, but my family, we decided to do the one-miler but uh, my kids, they wanted to sleep in, so we found out the one-miler is at 10 rather than having to get up and be downtown at, what, 7 a.m. or something. But good news is we took down the Roebling Runners, uh, the, the great enemy, the, the team that was beating us, and now we have the largest team. So take that, Roebling Runners. Uh, you didn't know Andrew Weinbrenner, who's on staff here, is the, the boss of the Roebling Runners, and so he's kind of kind of competing against yourself, but hey, congratulations, Andrew, you beat yourself. <laughs> uh, so this is the final Sunday of our Unity series, and um, it's been fun, am I right? 
Uh, I've heard lots of great feedback from, from a lot of you. Uh, most encouraging to me is I've heard from you that the series has been practically helpful um, in addressing and talking through issues that you deal with. Um, you know, I've heard more positive feedback uh, on recent sermons than I've heard from uh, in, in any of the others for a long time. So I'm, I'm really happy to hear that. I've been praying for a long time, been preparing this series for a long time, praying specifically that this series would live up to its name and that even though we're waiting, have to wade into difficult topics, that the fruit of it will be unity, that it will live up to its name. So next week, we're going to start into a 10-week series in the book of Philippians, and Cameron Waterworth is batting leadoff, so he's going to start off the series next Sunday. Um, but today, we're going to talk about the unity of the church and the link between the unity and the maturity of the church. Unity and maturity. Ephesians chapter 4, dig in together. Ephesians chapter 4, and the first point here is that maturity is the goal of the Christian life. Maturity is the goal of the Christian life, and we'll see this here in Ephesians chapter 4, and I want to just hit a couple of texts. Verse 1, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience. Bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Jump down to verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, listen to this, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children. Tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. From whom the whole body, joined and held together with every, by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, which makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let me show you a graphic. This text moves through three big ideas. We've got the unity of the church. That's the first six verses. One uh, faith, one Lord, one baptism, one God and Father of all. Then we have the variety of the church. Um, you've got different people. Grace was given to each one of us, right? And we have different roles. You have apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, different roles, different gifts, strengths uh, that, that are all comprised of in the church. But all of it is aimed towards maturity, towards building us all up in Christ. So the unity of the church, the church's unity is founded on the truth of the gospel. We've been hammering that throughout the series. The truth is the bond of our unity. And the variety of the church, the church is comprised of a variety of people, men and women, young and old, people from every ethnicity, different gifts, strengths, callings. Working towards the maturity of the church, 
So the church's goal is to help people reach maturity. And they do that by internalizing and living out the gospel. Now, as we discussed in the first week, mature, or, uh, the unity that we're after, it's not merely a peaceful coexistence. There's a lot of talk about unity these days, and it's because we feel the division in our world. And we, we say we want unity. We're pretty much saying, let's just make the pain go away. You know, it's like, just make it stop. It's a peaceful coexistence. But, but that's not really the kind of unity that we're talking about here. When most people say they want unity, what they really mean is they want pleasantness. They want the pain to go away. They want to just get along. Let's not argue and fight anymore. And so if that's the case, the easiest way to make things pleasant is just to follow the consensus, to go along with the majority. But Christians, we're not called to just follow the consensus, right? We're called to follow Christ no matter what the majority happens to be doing. So every Christian... All varieties, man and woman, every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, different gifts and callings. We're all united in Christ into one body, and we're all building one another up in Christ towards maturity. So let's hear this again. Ephesians 4.11. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints, to equip you for the work of ministry. But what's the work of ministry? Welcome team? Kids ministry? Sure. But the work of ministry, according to the text here, is the building up of the body of Christ, which is what all those other ministries are aimed at. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So it's a progression, a variety of different people. God gave us a variety of different people to equip the saints to do this work of ministry. And the work of ministry is building the body up so that we can all attain to this unity of the faith, which is greater conformity to Christ. So we're helping each other become more like Jesus. That's the goal. Another word that gets at this idea of maturity is sanctification. Uh, it's becoming more holy, more mature, but it's the same, same idea. Ever since uh, my kids were born, Laura would take them to the pediatrician every year. And uh, you'd always get this little chart back from the pediatrician that kind of tracks their progress. Every year they'll measure their height and their weight and the head circumference and I don't know whatever else that uh, pediatrician measures, but you get this little chart that shows like, how is your kid doing compared to other kids of the same age and development? So, so why do they do that? They do that because you want to see growth. You want to see maturity. And if you're not seeing growth, then you know something is wrong. If you go from one year to the next and the child is exactly the same, then, you know, something's wrong. You know, that they're not growing. There's something that isn't, that isn't going right. And it's the same with the Christian life. Over time, healthy Christians will grow, will, will, will mature. And if they don't, then we know something's not right, something's off. So the goal of our unity is to help everybody along in that process to make steady progress in the faith. And so that's, we, we, I mentioned sanctification. Well, a, a, another theological term, they call it progressive sanctification. And that doesn't mean you're becoming more progressive, like, politically. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a meaning of progress of time. You're, you're slowly making progress towards greater maturity. So just like babies will mature very slowly, it takes time. It's the same with us. We make slow and steady progress, but we are always moving forward. So whenever you first become a Christian, 
you, you believe the gospel. You're, your sins are forgiven. You're redeemed by Jesus. And God no longer counts your sins against you. So as far as God views you, you're perfect. You're, you're, you're holy. You're sanctified. You're pure because of the blood of Jesus. That is your position before God. But in your experience, we still have indwelling sin that we have to, uh, have to work through and learn to repent and grow through that. So for the rest of your life, you're making progress. You're, you're going forward, becoming more and more and more increasingly like Jesus. And then whenever you die, it's complete. It's perfected to where your position in Christ will match your experience and your activity. You're perfected in your sanctification. 1 Thessalonians 4 talks about this. Listen to what he says here. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. And he goes on to describe what that's like. Well, that you abstain from sexual immorality. That each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. That no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter. Because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God. Now that last part is important because he's, he's saying, or last, not man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. And that last, that last phrase is important because it is the Holy Spirit that God puts in our hearts that produces this growth. So we're not just kind of white-knuckling it through life and just trying to grit it out and get better and better in our own strength. No, it's we are relying and submitting to the power of the Holy Spirit that works in us, trusting God to produce greater growth, greater maturity. Now, a church's unity will not exceed its maturity. And that's why we're talking about it in this series. That's the second point. A church's maturity, or church's unity, will not exceed it's maturity. It's hard to be united in Christ whenever the people aren't acting like Christ. So Ephesians 4 teaches us that unity produces this maturity. It's driving at, it's aimed in this direction. He says, well, the goal is that you'll no longer be children, no longer tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. You're not being deceived and by, by human cunning and that sort of thing. And since conflicts tend to bring up the worst in people, they're not going to be resolved if the people involved are acting like children. They need to act like Christians. We need to act like mature believers. We need to act like Jesus in the midst of our disagreements and our conflicts. And the more spiritually mature members in the church can help preserve the unity and promote the unity of the whole church. So whenever a church's unity is tested, the way forward is always to act like Jesus. When our unity is tested, and it has been, right? I mean, our, our unity is tested. There's, there's all kinds of things that we could be divided over. And whenever our unity is tested, the way forward is always to act more like Jesus, to be more conformed to Jesus, to be more spiritually mature in the way that we approach it. So maturity and holiness, I mentioned this in the first week of the series. Maturity and holiness, they are catalysts for unity in the church. Spiritual immaturity promotes division in the church. Now, when I say spiritual immaturity, I want to make a distinction here because not all immaturity is the same. 
You expect a baby to be immature and childish because that's what babies are. That's what they do. But not a grown man. You don't expect a grown man to act like a baby. If you see a grown man acting like a baby, then you know there's a problem because there's an expectation that they will have matured past that point. So let's talk about two kinds of immaturity. There's, I'm, these are words that I made up. They may not be the best descriptions, but go with me. Uh, it's holy immaturity and worldly immaturity. Those are the two words. So we'll go holy immaturity first. Two kinds of spiritual immaturity. <clears throat> Excuse me. Holy immaturity, that refers to the typical starting point for all new Christians as they learn how to walk with God. It's like an infant, a little baby. They're first born. There's, their, their immaturity is not a, a, a moral problem. It's, it's just they're, they're babies. They, they, they don't have any experience of being human. And so nobody faults them for their immaturity, but the expectation is that they'll grow. So their immaturity is not due to some deliberate sin, but just to their inexperience. And that's the same thing with, with Christians. A, a, a Christian who is sincerely walking with the Lord, a brand new Christian, their immaturity is not due to a deliberate sin problem, but just due to their inexperience with the Christian faith. So what I mean is this, it's like they're a new Christian and they know it and they're humble about it and they're not trying to hide it. So naturally, a newer Christian is going to be immature in the faith because it takes time to progress, to, to, to grow and to be sanctified and mature in Christ, to develop the beliefs and habits and, and, and ways of life, to, to learn how does it look to act like Jesus in this or that situation. And I'm sure you know the kind of people I'm talking about. Maybe you're one of them. Maybe you're one of these newer Christians, and, and the Christian faith is, is this new thing that you're just starting to, uh, to embrace and to live out. And this is, for, for people in this stage, it's like, it's an exciting time. It's a time of, of discovery, of learning and growing, and, and the pace of growth is, is much quicker in the early days a lot of times. You're enjoying the grace and the freedom of the gospel for the first time. You're enjoying the liberty of having your sins forgiven and your conscience cleansed by the blood of Christ. Personally, people like this, I find them to be some of the most refreshing people to be around because there, there, is, there is just a freshness to their love and, and, and joy in Christ. There's an eagerness and a hunger to know God. And for, at the church level, it's like we want people around that are like this. We want brand new Christians because that means that we're reaching people with the gospel and that there's space for them to grow, to mature in Christ. And there's a hospitable and a gracious environment that's, that's going to understand where they are spiritually and give them time to grow. That We want this in our church, this kind of holy immaturity. It's a good thing. It's just like a baby. Whenever you watch a baby learning to walk for the first time, you know, it's like, Everybody, it's like, like mom or dad will start saying, oh, they're walking, they're walking, come in here. And everybody comes in and they're watching and they're cheering and they're excited because they want to see this kid grow and they're excited to see him take steps. No parent scolds that child for tripping over her legs and face planting in the carpet. <laughs> you're excited for them. You're encouraging them. You're spurring them on. It's, it's, it's an immaturity that is wonderful because you're seeing that they are, they are moving forward and they're advancing. And that's how God is with us. God is a tender father. He's loving with us. He's delighting and rejoicing with us with every step of faith that we take, with all of our progress. He's there cheering us on, supporting us. His Holy Spirit is within us, giving us strength. 
So a younger Christian's immaturity in the faith should be reasonably accommodated for the sake of unity. Younger Christians thrive in an environment of grace where they're patiently encouraged in their growth. Holy immaturity. Holy with H-O-L-Y. Holy immaturity. The other one, worldly immaturity. That's a contrast. A worldly immaturity, it refers to somebody who isn't growing because of some unrepentant sin or pride or hard-heartedness. So the worldly Christian's immaturity is not due to his lack of experience with the Christian faith, but a lack of submission to it. So he's in this state of spiritual arrested development. He's not surrendered to God. He loves his sin. He's clinging to his sin. And it's damaging his soul. And it's, as a result, it's doing harm to other people around him. He's not growing. Now, the New Testament deals with this kind of immaturity very differently than the first kind. Because of the effect that it has on others. Because of how disruptive it can be to the unity of the church. And the unity of the church is important because that is one of the catalysts for the growth of everybody. For everybody's maturity. So the New Testament calls the church to address that kind of immaturity directly. You call that person to repentance, to preserve unity. And of course, God's grace is, is, is sufficient. There's, there's healing and forgiveness in the gospel. We're forgiven. We're, 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 uh, God is merciful to us. And the church, likewise, should also be gracious to people that are, that are in, in this situation when they repent. The best biblical example of this is the church in Corinth. So they were the most immature and divided church in the New Testament. And uh, they're kind of a dumpster fire because there's like pride and worldliness and division. And uh, what I want to do is I want to take you on a quick tour of 1 Corinthians and just to highlight the various ways that their spiritual immaturity is, is damaging the whole body, 1 Corinthians. So 1 Corinthians, um, I've got five different passages that we'll go through. We'll start here in chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there's quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? So evidently, we're not the first ones to experience Christian celebrity culture, right? <laughs> Back in the early church, I mean, they were divided up according to their favorite preachers. I follow Matt Chandler. I follow John Piper. I follow whoever. You know, just you got your, our favorite preachers. And, and people divide up into different camps and align behind personalities rather than whatever the truth is that we're, that we're discussing. And what Paul says is really interesting. He says, is Christ divided? He said, the church is divided up into camps. He said, we are his body, Right? And so to divide up into the little camps, he's saying, is Christ divided? We're cutting Jesus up into little pieces. We're disrupting the unity of the church by this tribal impulse that, that they were experiencing. All right, skip over to chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants 
in Christ. Not the good kind, the bad kind. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. But even now you're not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Paulus, are you not being merely human? So the Corinthians should have been spiritually mature by this time, right? But they're still acting like infants. So there was a problem. There was a division, a disunity in the church, and nobody's acting like a grown-up. Nobody's being responsible and mature. They're just, they're just kind of hardening into their different camps. And the evidence of their spiritual maturity was this strife, Jealousy, they're acting in the flesh, not in the spirit. And then Paul asks this question, which, which shows what his operating assumptions are. He says, are you, are you being merely human? And that shows that in his mind, we're not mere humans. We're not mere humans. Any old people out there in the world can divide over stuff. But we are not mere humans. We have the Holy Spirit within us. The Spirit, the same Spirit that's in me is in you and is in every other Christian. We are all partakers of the same Spirit. And so that Spirit is alive with us. We're not dead in sin. We are now alive because of Christ. So we're not mere humans. Chapter 5. I'm not going to read the whole chapter. Let's hit a couple snippets along the way. Verse 1. It's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. Verse 6. Your boasting, arrogance, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole of it, works its way through the whole church. Verse 9. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of the world or the greedy or swindlers or idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. Sinners going to sin. It's in the world. That, that's to be expected. That's what merely human people will do that don't know the Lord. But now I am writing you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother. If he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. What do I have to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. So there's this case of a gross sexual immorality in the church. A man has his stepmother. And that was taboo even in the pagan society. You know the church is in bad shape when we are celebrating the sins that the world itself will condemn. But they were not ashamed of it. They were proud of it. They thought that God's grace gave them license to sin. So Paul commanded them, remove this guy from fellowship. Don't even associate with him. Not because of the sin itself, because there's sin everywhere. There's sin all over the world. But because this guy bears the name of brother. 
If he bears the name of brother and he's got this gross sin in his life that he's unrepentant and hard-hearted and proud about, that guy should have no fellowship with you. Remove him. Do not associate with him. And that was an act of discipline to preserve the unity of the church and the honor of the name of Christ, whom he says he bears the name of brother. And he said earlier in verse 6, it's like a little leaven works its way through the lump. If a church is allowed to have somebody that is openly celebrating flagrant sin, then that affects other people, that, that, that disrupts the unity of the church, and it harms people. Now, um, in 2 Corinthians, we see this man repented. And Paul says, welcome him back. Don't overwhelm this man with his, with his grief. Receive him back into your fellowship. So he did, they, they evidently, um, we, they did what he said to do, and they got the response that he was hoping for. The man repented and was welcomed back. Verse, uh, chapter 11. Chapter 11. Verse 17. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, he's talking about communion. When you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No. I will not. <laughs> so whenever they celebrated Lord's Supper, it was, uh, they would have a big meal. So, you know, we have a certain way of doing it here, but in the early church, there was uh, usually more of a, a large meal, and they would all sh- share a meal together, and then they would celebrate communion during that meal. So it was like a liturgical potluck that they would do. Um, so that, but they were supposed to take it together. I mean, that's why you call it communion. It is communal. It's like we do this thing together. But some people couldn't wait. It's like, I'm hungry. Uh, you know, haven't eaten since lunch. So I'm just going to go ahead and eat. And, you know, whenever Frank gets here, well, he can just have his meal and give him the bread and wine too for communion. It's like, he's like, what? You're, you're supposed to do this together. That's the whole point. So this disregard for one another was a problem because Paul's point is that the way you treat other Christians is the way you treat God. One more. Towards the end of the book, Paul brings up spiritual maturity again, this time in the context of spiritual gifts. And I'll just read the verse without comment. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. So the point is that spiritual immaturity divides the church. We see this in 1 Corinthians. But holiness, sanctification, spiritual maturity helps to unite the church. I saw a tweet recently It said, an immature Christian is hard to please and easy to offend. An immature Christian is hard to please and easy to offend. I want to talk about this for a little bit. Last year, I read something in a book that I found extremely helpful, and I've been chewing on it ever since. I mean, it's like I just keep coming back to it again and again. Um, the book is Reappearing Church by a guy named Mark Sayers, but he's he was quoting another author in, in the book. But uh, the point he was making is about how immaturity in the church can cause disunity. And so he was talking about how we live in individualistic times. 
And so there's this conditioning, this encouragement or inclination that we all have to worship our feelings. And yet we're also social creatures. And being social creatures, we're drawn to other people, and oftentimes we can react to and mirror the emotions and feelings of somebody else. And then when there's a high level of anxiety, people will look for stability around one another and then, and then the consensus that they can arrive at together. And in that environment, the, the immature person sets the temperature. Let me read you a quote. He says, consensus can be a good thing, yet in a time of high emotional regression and immaturity, such as the day in which we live, and the resulting fear of giving offense, consensus ties an organization or family or church Listen to this. Consensus ties an organizational, organization, a family or church, to the will and emotional level of its most immature, dysfunctional, and resistant members. Who through consensus are given a lever with which to hold the whole human system hostage. I don't know if that hits you the way it hits me, but that's an exceptional insight. Because I've seen this play, it, play itself out in churches. I've seen it play out here. It just, it, it's, it's the way that, it, it's a natural consequence of the way that God has created us and the fallen nature that we find ourselves in. What he's talking about is like a kid, you know, throwing a tantrum at the grocery store. And so mom keeps him quiet by giving him candy. Yes, in the moment, she'll get a temporary reprieve, but she's creating an emotional tyrant by accommodating herself down to his level of maturity and rewarding it. This can happen in a church easily because churches want to keep the peace. Within a church, people are saying, we want unity, we want peace. And any disunity or any, any division or conflict feels like something's wrong. It's like we just want the pain to stop, right? We want peaceful coexistence. We want, we want just, just pleasantness to return. And so what happens is the church will keep the peace by accommodating the immaturity of the congregation. So the people who are most easily offended who are always upset, who are always concerned about something, they can end up dictating culture. It's, it's a form of emotional blackmail where godliness and truth gets bent to accommodate people's feelings. John Piper wrote about this, and uh, I, I want to read to you another quote. This is from John Piper. And uh, let me just say this here. I'm speaking to myself. I'm including myself here because I've seen the same pattern in myself. And the, Lord, the reason why it hit me so hard when I read it is the Lord convicted me and, and challenged me. So I'm, I'm speaking to all of us, myself included. Here's what John Piper said. One of the pervasive marks of our times is emotional fragility. It hangs in the air we breathe. We are easily hurt. We pout and mope easily. We blame easily. We break easily. Our faith breaks easily. Our happiness breaks easily. And our commitment to the church breaks easily. We are easily disheartened. And it seems we have little capacity for surviving and thriving in the face of criticism and opposition. A typical emotional response to trouble in the church is to think, if that's the way they feel about me, then I'll just find another church. And if we think that we are not children of our times, let us simply test ourselves to see how we respond when people reject our ideas or spurn our good efforts or misconstrue our best intentions. Piper says, we all need help here. We are surrounded by 
and are part of a society of emotionally fragile quitters. The spirit of the age is too much in us. Oh, man, that hurts. That hurts. I've seen this in myself. Beloved, this is in our church. So what do we do about this? We've got divided times, as divided as I've ever seen in my life. Not that I'm all that old, but <laughs> in my few years, <laughs> I've seen this is, this is divided as we've ever been. So how are we going to preserve our unity going forward? Let me just speak, uh, inject this here. I know that the last few weeks, I've stirred things up. And that's, that's a good thing for us. We want unity, right? We, we all want unity. I want unity. We've all called for you. We're saying, let's be united. We want unity such that unity has become a cheap word and we don't recognize what it costs. Unity is not a game. It's not an emotion. It's not easy. Unity has a cost and we don't get it for free. Unity requires us to put our faith into practice and apply it in areas we don't want with people we don't like. So I've heard feedback. I mean, during this series, as as things have been stirred up, I've, I've... Try to address things that are difficult that kind of hit the nerve that hurts. And I know it stirred things up, and that's good for us. It's like exposure therapy. It's like dealing with the hard thing so that we can train ourselves to deal with hard things. So we get used to it without giving up, without quitting, without running away, but sticking it in there and, and, and fighting together and, and holding fast. So at Christ the King Church, we need to cultivate the habit of working through difficult issues together. Let me get even more specific. Second sermon of this series. It talked about the freedom of the conscience. I would encourage you to go back and listen to it if you haven't heard it. But it talked about the freedom of conscience, and I applied it to how we handle COVID in our church. Why did I do that? Laura was a nervous wreck when I preached it. <laughs> She's like, oh, don't talk about COVID. People are going to freak out. And I'm like, yes, Lord, help me. Yes. And that's good for us. COVID is a test of unity. Romans 14 teaches us how to deal with it. And when I, the, the kind of thing that I perceive among us is that, well, COVID is different. It's an outlier. So the normal rules don't apply. No, that is precisely when we need to cling most tightly to what we see in Scripture. Some people get angry at others because they don't like the way the other person is handling COVID. Some people have been angry at the church because they don't like the way the church's policy has been towards COVID. And so what, what comes up as a result? Remember the words? Judging and despising. Do not judge one another. Do not despise one another. Those aren't just random words picked out. Paul is intentionally targeting those who come from like a weaker brother, stronger brother perspectives, and their most common temptation. Judging and despising one another. So this is the kind of situation where we need to submit to Scripture and apply it to our lives. These sermons aren't academic lectures. I'm not here to just give you some data about the ancient Near East (laughs) and uh, Hebrew this and Greek that and just give you some intel. You know, it's like these are meant to be helpful to you and for us all, myself included, to submit to the Word of God and apply it in our lives. The Bible is the word of God. We need to submit ourselves to it. This is in our our statement of faith. Is not the Bible our highest authority? 
then why aren't we submitting to it? Don't let COVID turn your brothers into enemies. But even if it does, what do you do then? Well, you do what Jesus tells you to do. Luke 6, 27. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. This verse applies to you. So whatever you think about COVID and the way you handle it, apply this verse to the people that you think are on the other side. That's what a mature Christian does. And it's costly. It's emotionally exhausting. As a pastor, we've had to make decisions knowing that no matter what, a lot of people are going to be unhappy. There's a cost. This is not about who's right and wrong. Don't hear me saying this is about who's right and wrong, and I'm secretly signaling the right answer about COVID. That is not the issue. This is about doing what's right to people that you think are wrong. So whatever you think is the right answer, and whatever you think is the wrong answer, then do the right thing towards those that you think are wrong. That's what maturity does. That's how we promote unity. So if you're angry about, with your brother about COVID, have you blessed your brother? Or have you cursed them? Have you prayed for your brother? Have you tried to understand his or her point of view? Have you tried to walk in their shoes and understand why did they think this stupid thing that nobody in their right mind would think? Have you tried to understand where they're coming from? If not, you're disobeying Jesus. If you love others who agree with you about COVID only, what good is that? Even the Gentiles can do that. We are not merely human. We have the Spirit of God within us who calls us to do the very difficult thing that causes us to draw within a deep reservoir of spiritual resources and love the person that I can't stand. We've become spiritually flabby and weak. Just like John, uh, John uh, Piper said, we've become emotionally fragile quitters. And so we've become so spiritually flabby and weak and so picky about stuff that we couldn't find unity in a church full of clones. That's meant to be a joke. <laughs> I'm not yelling at you. I'm passionate because, I've, because I care about this. I promise I'm not angry at anybody. <laughs> I have it in my notes right here. It says, be gentle, be gentle. <laughs> if we want unity in the church, then we need to walk with Jesus. How, how is your walk with God? If you're all worked up and angry and upset about COVID... Before you just think about how terrible and awful and rotten that other person is, think, like, are you walking with Jesus? Are you praying for people? Are you going to God and crying out, Lord, give me the strength to do this impossible thing? That's, there's no alternative. There's not some trick. There's not, there's not some policy that's going to resolve that. Ephesians 4, where we started the series, where we started today, hammering it throughout. Listen to these words. Put that person's mind, picture in your mind that you're upset with. I hope it's not me, but maybe. <laughs> I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, 
eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Sounds nice, doesn't it? Me and all my closest friends that all think alike, let's go get together and do that with each other. Or do that with the people that really rub me the wrong way. We don't need the Bible to tell us to love our friends and to get along with those we get along with. We need the Bible to confront our unbelief, confront our hard-heartedness, confront our spiritual immaturity, and tell us that we need to repent, believe the gospel, follow the Lord. That's what we need. Amen. I'll stop there. Our Lord Jesus, we praise you, God. Thank you for... Thank you for speaking to us, challenging us, convicting us, Lord, in all the ways that we have failed you and disobeyed you, Lord. Father God, I, I confess and repent that in my heart I have been frustrated with other people and have been angry and have been immature and have not loved them the way you tell me to. And Lord, I know I'm not the only one. We need your grace. We need the power of your spirit to toughen us up to teach us that we can do hard things, that we can obey you when it's difficult with people that we don't like. So may we bless those who curse us, pray for those who persecute us, love those who disagree with us for the sake of unity because we want that person to be mature in Christ, to attain to the unity of the Son of God, of the knowledge of, of, of God and Mature manhood, Lord, help us. We, we want that for each other. And Lord, we, as I mentioned, our, our, our maturity will not exceed our unity. Our unity will not exceed our maturity. Lord, we, we, we need you to come and inhabit us and to help us. We need your help. So thank you, Jesus, that you've shown us the way. Thank you that you've forgiven us our sin. You've given us your Holy Spirit. You dwell within us, giving us power. Teach us to walk with you. Help us to repent. Help us to love other people, Lord. Preserve and protect the unity of this church. I pray this for the unity of all the churches around the world, in our city, country, the world, as everyone is being tested in different ways. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please stand. We'll respond now hearing this message at the table. And so we've heard for four weeks about this theme of unity. Unity theme or not, each week as we come to the table, there is a call to be reconciled in the body. So we've heard from Paul in his letter to the church in Corinthians where there is division and he draws attention to the, this, this meal that we're going to share. And so every week as we come, but particularly today, think about those places where there is division, where there are fractions in the church, where you have anger or bitterness, and be reconciled to each other. If there's someone in this room, go to them. If there's someone who's not in this room, feel free. Normally I would say leave your phones at home, but, but you brought them anyway. So feel free to get them out in text and say, can we talk this week? Be resolved in your hearts to, to do that hard thing. So whoever comes to your mind when you think about those broken relationships within the body, this meal calls you again and again to be reconciled. If you're a Christian today, 
a part of examining our hearts is examining those places where we have elevated things above the, above Christ, where we have made um, secondary, tertiary things primary, and then it begins to fracture. We start fighting about the meaning of words and all kinds of silliness when Christ is crucified for us. Brothers and sisters, be called to unity as you examine your hearts today. Those of you uh, today, if you're with us and you're not a Christian, if you've never placed faith in Christ, you're not walking with him, uh, the call for you today is not to come and take this meal, but to receive Christ by placing faith in him, to believe what the Bible says about Jesus, that you can have your sins forgiven. Um, it begins with acknowledging that your sin is real and separates you from, from God. Uh, please consider that today as Christians come forward. I know that if you aren't a believer in Christ, you have doubts, you have reasons, um, accusations maybe even. And so please don't leave those questions unasked. Um, we would love to engage in that conversation with you. You can reach out through a Connect card or talk to a pastor or a Christian who you know here today. Um, it's a good invitation. Please consider it as Christians come forward. Those of you who are coming forward, take the time you need. When you're ready, come and get a, a piece of bread and a cup. Go back to your seat, and we'll take the communion together after this song. When you're ready, the table's open.
As a reminder throughout this series of the unity that we have with the historical church and and believers even of different traditions and things like that, we've been reading the Apostles' Creed each week as a reminder that the body of Christ is a big international, um, I don't know, trans-temporal, I think I made that word up, uh, community that we belong to. Let's celebrate that. Um, read this with me. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. With that unity, hear these words. Our Lord Jesus Christ, in the night when he was betrayed, took the bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take the bread now.
And in the same way, he also took the cup after the supper, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. This cup is the New Testament in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Take the cup now. We're going to sing one final song, which is an acknowledgement in some ways that, that what we've been called to throughout this series is difficult. It is not easy to pursue unity, but we continue to labor, and we know that there will be a harvest, that we will reap what we sow. Um, let's sing this song as, as a prayer um, and acknowledgement that God will finish what he has started in us. Let's sing this.
like to send you with a benediction, which is a blessing as you go and ascending, that we have not come to church today, but we have assembled as God's church, and now we go into the world as God's church to take the light of Christ with us. If you'd like, you can extend your hand as a sign of blessing. Go now as God's church, the bride of Christ, to the places you live, work, and worship. May our love for one another prove to the world that we are disciples of Jesus, and may our un believing unbelieving neighbors family members and enemies glorify our father in heaven peace be with you amen go in peace